Good morning, my relatives. Today is Friday, October 20th. I'm sitting here with my second cup of coffee, and there's a few things I would love to discuss with you about the current dysfunction of what's going on within our political system, especially here in Washington, D.C. But before we can get there, I want to do like I always do, which is acknowledge I'm speaking to you from Piscataway lands. I want to honor the Piscataway as the hosts of the land where I'm living. I want to thank the Piscataway for their stewardship of these lands. And I just want to state how humbled I am, what a humbling experience it is to be living on these lands today. Um, so if you've been following the news, you know that the GOP is in the middle of another chaotic leadership uh, vote where they are trying to elect the leader um, into the, the U.S. Um, House of Representatives. They're trying to get a Speaker of the House elected. And they are not able to vote for one. They're not able to get behind one. And uh, a few weeks ago, they ousted Kevin McCarthy um, by someone from the, the far right, kind of ousted Kevin McCartney. And McCarthy, and now uh, there's backing for Jim Jordan, but he has the support of Trump, and he is also from the hard right. And so a lot of the moderates are not getting on board. And as has been the case increasingly over the past seven to eight years, um, especially with the divisiveness of Donald Trump, the GOP is not only dysfunctional, they are becoming, getting to the point where they are incapable of functioning. They're incapable of governing, they're incapable of leading because there's such a division, there's such a divide, even within their own party, that because they have a majority in the House, they're actually able to completely grind to a halt the, the work of the American people, working for the American people, because they can't decide on how to even lead. They're, the party is in a state of dysfunction. And so we're, we need to find a way to get out of this. And today I would like to propose a few ideas of how I think we might be able to do this. Um, let me see who's on here with me. I see Brian Yate, thank you for joining. Susan Yate, thank you for joining. It's good to have you here. I hope your second cup of coffee is as good as mine. Or Susan, I hope your tea is as good as my coffee is. But um, yeah, thanks for grabbing a cup and thanks for sitting down for a few moments. Um, before I get into all of it, I'm going to get into that in just a moment, but I, I just want to let you know, I um, just traveled earlier this week to uh, Atlanta, and I got back on Wednesday, and it was a great trip. I'm uh, going to talk a little bit more about it at the end of this at the end of this, uh, this second cup of coffee. But uh, one of the things I loved about it is I had a fairly short day. It was, it was four events I did in the morning. I was at a school and I did four events. I, I met with teachers over breakfast. I did two classroom events and then I met with teachers over lunch again and I was done. I flew in the night before and then I caught a flight about 3.30 to come home. And I had dinner with my family that evening. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing, right? I loved the fact that I worked all day in Atlanta, came home and had dinner with my family here in Washington, D.C. Um, it, was, it, was really a, it was a really good trip. I'll talk a bit more about the engagement I had at the school towards the end of this coffee. But I'm, I, I'm finally learning how to take full advantage of the fact that I'm living in Washington, D.C. I have three major airports within 45 minutes of my house. Um, I can get to most cities with a direct flight 
and I can get most places around the country before noon. And so I'm learning how to take advantage of that and keep my trip shorter so I can spend more time with my family here in DC. But anyway, let's get back to uh, the dysfunction going on in Congress. So I'm just going to share a few stories here um, that have been in the news. And the first one is from AP News. And this goes back to when Kevin McCarthy was ousted. And remember, even when he was elected, they had to have some unprecedented number of votes just to even get him elected. And one of the ways he got elected is that Kevin McCarthy changed the rules so that a single um, member of Congress could call for the ouster of the leader if, if they wanted to call for a vote. And so they made Kevin made that concession as a way to get himself elected into the speakership. And then that tool was used when the hard right became dissatisfied with him and they called for a vote. And this was a few weeks ago. And uh, the hard right really literally ousted McCarthy um, out of this out of the speakership. Um, and this is a, a story by the AP News, which shows how Republicans in general are very divided on what the far right did and um, how, how that uh, caused even more conflict within the party. So that's one story I want you to look at. Here's another one. This was in the New York Times. And this one is titled The Far, far Right GOP faction throws house into chaos as McCarthy is ousted. So again, this is about the same event, and it just gives another perspective about the deep division that exists within the House. Um, and now, obviously, it's been about two weeks, and the House Republicans have to elect a new speaker. And as I said, the, the, the most support has been behind Jim Jordan, but he is also from the far right. And uh, even though he has the support of Trump, that makes him a very divisive leader. And so he has now lost two votes. I think the goal today is to have another vote. They were supposed to have one yesterday, but they canceled it. And now I read this morning, Jim Jordan has said he's going to continue running and plans to have votes throughout the weekend to try to maybe wear down the party so that he might be able to get himself elected. So anyway, I'm going to share this article about, this is in Politico, and it's, it's the article titled, How the GOP Moderates Have Jim Jordan Pinned. Um, and so now it's some moderates, about 20 moderates on, of the, on the right. Um, so the other extreme, the other end of the party who are now um, stopping Jim Jordan from getting elected as the speaker. Um, and then I'm going to share one more article, and this one's from The Hill, where not only is this uh, whole fight over the leadership uh, causing chaos in the House, um, but it's also causing chaos in the Senate. And this article is about how the Senate Republican um, senators are divided over the race to replace McCarthy. And so the division, right, it exists within the House. It re, it, it, there's factions on the left. There's factions on the far right. There's factions in the middle right. And even the whole Republican Party, according to the poll in the article from the AP, is divided about what to do. And the senators, which are supposed to be a more tempering voice within the party, 
um, even they're really thrown off by it. And Fox News, I'm going to just share one story here from Fox News, because right, they're doing their best. They're, they're the propaganda mouthpiece of the Republican Party, just like CNN is the propaganda mouthpiece for the Democrats. And they're not highlighting this on the front page of their website, but they have to report on it, right, because it's chaos and it's news. And so they have a few stories here. Um, about the third vote that's expected today. And even though they're not using words like chaos or dysfunction or things like that or grinding to a halt, they are still basically reporting that, yeah, nothing's happening and the GOP is not able to elect a leader. Um, and then I'm just going to share one more story to show you how extreme this is getting. Uh, this is a story in the AP where... Um, where it's titled Republicans are facing death threats as the election for speaker gets mired in personal feuds. Um, and this is a story in the AP. And the interesting thing about this story is that, right, the, it doesn't appear the death threats are coming from the left. It appears like the death threats are coming from within the Republican Party and these moderates, these 20 moderates who are holding Jim Jordan out of the party are now facing threats from um, uh uh, voters within their own party who are very upset that they're not getting behind Jim Jordan and electing him as leader. So again, the, and this is very unfortunate, that, but this is what happens in America, right? When you have a nation that's born on violence, born on revolution, born on domestic terrorism, um, the way it thinks it needs to solve feuds is through more violence and even more domestic terrorism. Um, it's unfortunately in the DNA of this country. And then on top of all of that, I'm just going to share this story from the AP. And this is about Donald Trump. And the, the article is titled, Donald Trump is dominating the GOP primary and settling into a new role, the role of defendant. And it talks about how he has appeared in court twice this week, even though he doesn't need to be there. And the article is interesting. And I'm, again, I'm just trying to point out the absolute dysfunction that exists within the GOP, where Donald Trump is facing both civil as well as um, uh, uh, criminal cases against him. Um, and he is in court on a regular basis. And he's actually going to court as a way to try to galvanize support for him, paint himself as a victim and even raise money. And this worked initially, right? He was able to attract large crowds and he was able to, to at least put some spin on it. But the, <laughs> the fascinating thing, and again, remember, you have to remember, Trump demonstrates most of the symptoms of, 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 of a narcissist. And the narcissist needs to put themselves in the middle of everything. And so on in this article, I'm going to just read a few paragraphs. It says, on top of that, Trump was overshadowed by the escalating war in Israel and Hamas, as well as the failure of Republicans to elect a new speaker in the House. While Trump's initial appearances drew a media maelstorm with cable news networks airing live footage of his motorcade journey, this week's visits to court have drawn far less attention. There have been fewer reporters and more empty seats in the courtroom gallery as news outlets have pulled back on covering his courthouse sojourns because the novelty has worn off. 
unaccustomed to losing the spotlight, Trump acknowledged the challenge on Tuesday. And he said, despite my being here, the talk is all about Biden getting ready to fly to the Middle East. Um, and he goes on, but it says he wrote this on a social media platform. There is no respect for the United States of America. And so, again, he's equating himself with the U.S. And if he doesn't get attention, then obviously America is not getting the right attention. And this is unthinkable. And so it, but it's showing that, yeah, he is he is in the middle of all this and he is creating this chaos and he has made the the party that he ran for president under even though he was never a democrat most of his life he decided to jump into the republican party as in in 2016 and has completely brought the dysfunction of him and his his family into that party and ground their productivity to a halt now um so anyway this is the chaos of what's going on in front of us. It's a mess. And this is, to be honest, again, I can't diagnose Donald Trump, but when you look at the definition of what a narcissist is, you will see that Trump displays almost all of the characteristics of classic narcissism. In fact, when he was elected president in 2020, in 2016, I actually started reading articles of how do you live with a narcissist? Because I recognize that's what we're going to have to do as a nation, right? And one of the things narcissists do is they create problems that only they can solve. It's how one of the ways they keep themselves at the center. And so living with a narcissist is absolutely exhausting because they draw all the attention to themselves. They create chaos and chaotic problems that only they can bring solutions for. And it just perpetuates itself. And that's exactly what Trump is doing, both to the GOP as well as to our nation as a whole. And so I want to make a few recommendations of what we need to do and the media can play a role here the two parties can play a role here but we absolutely as a nation have to find a way to move beyond this chaos or at least to marginalize it to the point where it's not in the center of everything so first of all the fact that trump's court appearances court appearances is no longer dry uh, drawing mass media attention that's good right i i, I I actually am grateful that the news outlets are not going, they're covering every case and every appearance he makes because that only feeds into Trump's narcissism. And so I hope they continue to do that. I hope the, 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 the crowds get smaller and smaller, the media coverage gets less and less, and Trump will very quickly fade away from that. Um, and that, that, right, because he won't be getting the attention that he so needs. So that's a good thing. Now, what I think the GOP should do in the midst of this is I literally believe the GOP should split themselves into two parties here already. And this was apparent when I ran for, for president in 2020. It was very apparent even when I did my book tour last summer and I, I spoke in places like Orange City, Iowa, which is not too far from where Trump spoke at Dort College. 
um, where he said that he could go into downtown New York City and shoot somebody and not lose a single supporter. Right? He was that was in that was in Northwest Iowa where he said that, and I was in Northwest Iowa a year and a half ago on my book tour. I actually spoke on the same stage Trump was on um, uh, back in like 2015. Uh, to, the, to the same place at Dort College, uh, teaching about the doctrine of discovery. I've been in the Christian Reformed Church. I go to Western Michigan a lot, right? I, I speak regularly to very conservative Republican audiences. Um, and I've learned how to speak to them, how to write to them, how to challenge them, how to make them think about what they're doing. And there is a huge divide. And even when I got to Orange City, Iowa, last uh, two summers ago this was in 2022 and i was going to do a book event there for my book tour and i sat down with some of the people who organized the event and these, they were mostly from northwestern college and from one of the churches there and they informed me that yeah they, they were expecting a fairly good crowd and i actually got one of my largest crowds at orange city iowa i got like 100 people maybe 120 people showed up it was a fairly good sized audience and the, the, the organizers did a great job of getting the word out. And as we sat down a few hours before the event started, and I was just asking, okay, about asking about their publicity and who was going to be in the room. And they said, well, you're most likely not going to get the MAGA Republicans here. You're not going to get the diehard Trump supporters. What you're going to get are the moderate Republicans, the people who are Republican to the core, and they hate what's happening to their party. And that was very helpful to know. And so I framed my discussion of my book event that night to speak directly to moderate Republicans who are doing what they think is best for the nation and they're disgusted by what Trump and the, the MAGA group has done to the Republican Party and they just want to get back to um, being the Republican Party. And I was able to speak very directly to them and even pretty clearly rebuke them for some of the things that they were doing. And it was a, a day or two later that one of the professors from Dort College who was there at the event, he wrote on his blog and uh, his blog was titled, I think it was titled Mark Charles Prophet. And he basically said to the Northwestern community, the people in Orange City, Iowa, he said, we were visited by a prophet the other day who challenged us to think deeply about what we're fighting for and what we're about. And it was, it was I love the blog article. I, I, I don't have the link on my list right here, but at some point I can share that again. But yeah, it's it, it was a very good article. And... Right. So the point of that is, is there is a, a moderate faction of the Republican Party that has their values, it has their political viewpoints, but they want to make the keep the nation functioning. They don't want to just draw, grind things to a halt. And they're willing to move forward and to even hear arguments and listen to to discussion about different points of view. And I really think the GOP has to acknowledge that not only are they dysfunctional, they've gotten to the place where they are incapable of functioning. They're incapable of leading right now. And they need to split 
into two separate parties. They need to split into the MAGA Republicans and they need to split into the moderate Republicans. Now, I posted this on my social media yesterday and someone commented and said, well, won't that just ensure that the Democrats will win every election then because now we have the Republican Party split into two. And I don't think it will do that. Why? Because how did Joe Biden get elected, right? Joe Biden is a very, very moderate, middle-of-the-road Democrat. And in the primary season, he campaigned hard to people of color. Or I'll say, not to people of color, to black people. He ignored Native peoples and other groups, but he campaigned very hard to black people and pinned his hopes on South Carolina. But then once he got to the general election, once he wrapped up the primary, then he focused all of his attention on moderate Democrats and even moderate Republicans. And that's literally how he won the election, right? Is Republicans, especially moderate Republicans, they were disgusted with having to vote for Trump again. And so there were some who were willing to even cross the aisle and vote for Joe because he was not a hard left Republican. He was not nearly as, as progressive or as, as extreme as others in his party are. And he was very much, and he was very intentional about this, of being a middle-of-the-road moderate Democrat. And that was too much of the anger and the and the the disgust of those who were on the far left of his party, right? They were like, what are you doing? Why are you not advocating for these issues that we what we wanted and that we we wanted to do as a party? And so there's there's a similar divide in the Democratic Party as there in this is in the Republican Party. It hasn't reached the level of dysfunction yet in the Democrats that it is in the Republicans, but it is there. And Joe Biden appealed to that middle centrist position of both Democrats and Republicans to get elected. And so, right, this centrist party, if, if the Republicans created a second party, a third party, and they divided into two, they would not have to work very hard or change very much to attract some of these centrist Democrats. And I think if they did it, they could actually have a, 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 a strong presence in this new three-party system. I don't think they would have to change radically to be able to attract some centrist Democrats to vote for this new moderate Republican Party. I mean, that's, that's exactly how Joe Biden got elected, right? Is he appealed to the centrists of both Democrats and Republicans. That's how he got elected. And so I don't think if the, Demo if, if the Republicans created a third party, they divided the Republican Party into two, I don't think they would actually be that, um, that, that would necessarily ensure that the Democrats would win every election. I think it would actually cause a lot more crisis in the Democratic Party because now they would not only be afraid, the Democrats are already terrified, right? Because they have a very, a very diverse base. 
Um, and they always nominate the most status quo white landowning male they can find to lead their party and to be their nominee. And so that's why they spend so much time in the general election of making sure Green Party and third party candidates don't have a presence or a voice and independents don't have a presence, right? Because they're terrified that their base, which is very diverse, is going to is going to wander when they um, actually get to the general election. And so so they're already afraid, right? They're already blaming the Green Party over and over and over again for causing them to lose past elections because the Green Party is, again, taking some of the votes from the far left of the Democratic Party. And now this new Republican Party would begin to siphon votes from the, the centrist people and, and the more moderate Democrats who are um, trying to have a much more different worldview and, and political view than the people on the far left. And so it actually would, I think it would strengthen the Green Party and it would allow, so it would, it would make the Democrats, again, there's no guarantee that they would just automatically win now. Um, because I think a moderate Republican Party could fairly easily attract some centrist Democrats, um, and then they would that that break would then make even the Green Party or other third parties on the left look even more attractive. So it could work. In, in, I, I, well, I shouldn't say I would say it's not a done deal that if the Demo if the Republicans split into two, that the Democrats automatically win every election. I don't think that's you should assume that. I think there's too much division beneath the surface in the Democratic Party, especially among people of color, where again, and they did it so clearly in the 2020 race, where they campaigned hard to people of color in the primary. They had the most diverse group of candidates ever running in the, in the Democratic primary, more people of color, more LGBTQ, IA2S plus, right? They had a very diverse group, more women. And then they nominated the most status quo white landowning male from the 1% they could find. And they tried then to rally everyone to get behind him. And there were a lot of people of color, a lot of people from the margins who were like, I don't see Biden fighting for me. I don't see Biden reflective in what I want politically. So anyway, I think there is a divide in the Democratic Party. It's just not quite as much to the breaking point as it is in the Republican Party. The other thing I think we could do, and I think the Democrats, if, if they were, and this is the problem with our two-party system, right, is it makes every dialogue binary and it makes every challenge more about defeating your opponent than actually governing. Um, and so if you have a chance to govern or to defeat your opponent in this simplistic, childlike two-party system that we have, you will almost always choose to defeat or humiliate your opponent than to actually do something for the good and for the sake of governing. And we see that over and over and over again in our political system. And that's why, right, when the, when the Democrats vote, because they have a vote, apparently, in this speaker race, and they vote for, for their, their the, the minority leader, Jeff Jeffries, I think his name is. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I forgot to look that up before this started. But, right, they vote for him every time. And they absolutely could sway this, this well, maybe I won't go there yet, because I, I need to research that to make sure that could happen. Um. I think they were able to vote for the ouster. Maybe they couldn't vote for the swing. But 
I think if if the Democrats got behind and at least supported a moderate Republican who they thought they could work with, I think they could have some influence on who the Republican Party elects um, for for the, the speaker. I think they could have some influence into that. So anyway, I think there's there's a few options to go that could happen there. But again, it has to we have to again to put governing ahead of just defeating the other party and of sticking it to our political opponents. And um, I don't think we're doing that very well. So those are my thoughts. I think we need to let the Republicans, encourage the Republicans to split into two parties. I think there needs to be a MAGA party and a moderate party. And I think what that will do, that will have a positive effect, not only by getting the the Republicans to a point where they can at least function and debate again, but it will actually encourage debate from the Democrats because now they will not only risk losing votes to the on the far left to the Green Party and third party candidates, but they will risk losing votes in the moderate center to this new moderate Republican Party. And I think it could be overall have a good um, a good effect on our entire political system. So those are my thoughts. Um, I don't know what, I don't think these parties are going to take them to heart. Uh, I think, yeah, I think they're way too much in this mode of, they just want to stick it to the other party and they just want to, they, they want an all or nothing rather than to actually govern. And so I would be very, very surprised if anything like this ever happened, but I think that's the way forward, at least past this current impasse where we're at right now. Um, I wanted to uh, to um, so Susan Raddick said. So why don't the moderate Republicans vote for Jeffries? Uh, right, they could do that. I think the reason they won't is because the Republicans, at least by name, are in the majority, um, and so I I don't think they will. Um, that would be a harder sell to make. Um, again, I think the Democrats and this, the, does someone know? I'm pretty sure the full House votes, but I could be wrong. Um, I'm pretty sure the full House votes for the Speaker. Um, and so if they did, if if the Democrats, if they were, if the full House does vote, and I, I should have looked this up before I started. I, I want, I'm almost sure they do, but I don't have <laughs> absolute confidence. So I'm, I don't want to say it unless someone else knows who's on here. But um, I, I think it would be easier if the Republicans, thank you, Adrian. Yes, Adrian said, yes, they do. Um, they do have a vote. Okay, so that's good. So if the Democrats said then that we're, if, they, if they just on their own picked a moderate Republican and instead of all voting for Jeffries, they said, we're going to vote for this moderate Republican, right? On their own, they couldn't win it, right? They're, they're not going to win that. But again, if they get 25 Republicans to say, you know what, that's not a bad choice, 
that will allow us to govern again. We'll still have we'll still have a Republican speaker. We'll still be able to maintain our majority. I think I think that could happen again. The far right would would scream chaos, but I think it would be one way, and that would again further divide the party, which would even make more sense than that. Yeah, the Republican Party needs like if the Republican Party can't function without democratic support that's a very clear sign that the republican party has to do something radical to fix itself and then you can make the argument that yeah this needs to become two parties and not one um and i I think that would be a great way to do that so anyway those are the thoughts i have I would love to see our government functioning again. I would love to things move to see things move forward in a positive way. And I love to see there be something different, right? I get tired of the same old demonizing the other party and just making it a, a an all or nothing game and I I it's so boring and dysfunctional and broken that we need to actually try to do some things that are different um, to try to again find a way to move our nation forward. I said earlier, I I wanted to mention some stuff that I did uh, when I was in Atlanta. And when I was in Atlanta, I had a very unique opportunity. And this was just, just, again, two days ago on Wednesday, I was in Atlanta. And I spoke to third graders. I had two presentations, one with a group of about 30 third graders and one with a group of about 60 third graders. I spoke to about 90 third graders total. And I was invited there to teach them about the doctrine of discovery. And I decided as I thought about how to do that, that I wanted to actually lay out Johnson v. McIntosh and show them how the doctrine of discovery to this day is still the legal precedent for um, land titles. And I wanted to help them understand and see um, the how incorrect the history around Abraham Lincoln was. And I wanted to basically begin to kind of deconstruct that mythological legacy of Lincoln and show that he actually was not a friend of black people, nor was he in any way, shape, or form a friend of native peoples. He was actually a blatant, unapologetic white supremacist and one of our most genocidal presidents in our nation's history. And so I had to think, how do I teach these things, some very complex legal concepts, as well as this very stark history to third graders? And we had a great time. Um, obviously the presentation was much more participatory than it is for my other lectures. I asked a lot more questions. I got feedback from the students. I put things in much more simple terms, um, ways they could understand it. Again, starting with the whole concept of you can't, um, discover lands that are already inhabited, right? I used the example of a desk. You can't take a desk where someone's already sitting there. Um, you know, and I, we just did these things and it, it went really well. And I was talking with someone about it afterwards. And one of the things they said, you know, why we were talking about the benefit of of doing things for elementary kids. And I said, you know, I go in and I talk so frequently to college age kids or young adults or even older adults. And these are people who have 
learned the mythology of America for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And so to teach them this history, to create common memory with them, I have to deconstruct literally decades worth of learning for them where they've been told this whole other narrative. And it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. When I'm teaching third graders, they have heard a few things, but they don't know all the details. They don't haven't studied this in depth. They haven't even held these views very long at all. They've just been told a few things. And most third graders are, yes, Abraham Lincoln was good. He ended slavery. Um, we don't know what the doctrine of discovery is, but it doesn't sound very appealing. And so to be able to shape what the doctrine of discovery is and show them, help them understand how that legally affects things to this day. And then to show them how actually Abraham Lincoln was not a good guy. He believed in white supremacy, he supported Dred Scott, and he was actively committing genocide against Native peoples till the day he died. Doing that change to a third grader, right, that puts them on a completely different trajectory of someone who's receiving the opposite teaching. And so where someone else who's not getting that exposure in the third grade, they're going to end up where these adults I'm talking to now are, where I have to deconstruct not only the history, but 20 years or 40 years or 60 years of their own learning to get them to understand these things. And I realized, yeah, teaching this to third graders is going to have a compounding effect on their ability to be in a much different place when they start to vote, when they start to think about and have a say in, in, the, in the, the, the direction of our nation and as they go into jobs or positions of influence. And so it, it got me really, really excited. So on my Patreon, right, on my, I, I do a Patreon site and each month I have different events that I do there um, I have different tiers and I've highlighted some of my tiers. One of my tiers is my ask questions tier where I do a Q and a once a month. I have another tier called, um, uh, decolonizing faith tier where every month I talk about the content from my new book and I have a middle tier between those two. And that tier is called join the conversation. And in that tier, I, give a presentation or I, I, I give some content. I've been talking most recently about the content I'm creating for my new Lincoln presentation. And I've been going through some of that. But over the past year and a half, I've done lectures. I've done other presentations. And this month in October, probably sometime next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that tier to talk about how I taught the Doctrine of Discovery and Johnson v. McIntosh to third graders. And that, that event went really well. The teachers loved it. They absolutely loved it. And the kids got it. They really understood it. And it was one of the most satisfying events I've had in a long time. And so on my, on my Patreon site this month, uh, sometime next week, for my Join the Conversation tier, I am going to lay out how I presented that content um, to the third graders in a way that they could understand so that they could, again, be on a whole different trajectory of understanding as they, um, uh, go through the rest of their lives. So if you'd like to join that, you can join my Patreon at any time. 
And if even if you join it after the event next week, you, it'll still be archived on that tier, and you can watch it anytime you want there. Um, I'm going to also share once again, uh, if you would like to buy a book on, of On Selling Truth, signed copies of my book are available on my website. And one of the things you can also buy there is the the, the 10 pack the 10 pack book study special and i have been so thrilled i did another q a last night where when you buy 10 signed books from my website i will ship you those books for free it's 200 dollars, and if you do that for the sake of a book study right you want to have a book study with some friends or some colleagues or members of your church or wherever you are um i will give you any point in the next year a virtual Q&A where you and your study can sit down with me on a Zoom call and ask questions about the book and I'll answer the questions that you ask. And I just did another one of these Q&As last night and I love these Q&As. I absolutely love them, right? I, I've said this before, but after I speak, when I go out and speak, I could almost script the questions that will be asked after the event because people are so overwhelmed with the content that I know what questions they're going to ask immediately. These Q&As for these book studies, because they've read the book, they've been in discussion about them together. Sometimes it's a week after the study. Sometimes it's in the middle of the study. Sometimes it's a month after the studies. And so they've had time to process and to think through and to, and to form some questions. I'm learning I can't predict what's going to come up in these sessions. I can't predict it because every session is so different. And the questions are fantastic, and they, they're, I absolutely love these. And you can still buy those on my website. And through the month of October and November, I'm actually giving free shipping. So you can, you can order the 10-pack or a single book, and you will get free shipping through the month of October and November. So anyway, those are just a few of the things that are going on for me. Um, but I hope all of you have a really good day. Hope your second cup of coffee is as good as mine was. I hope these thoughts were helpful. I'd love to see our nation begin to make progress and to start moving forward once again. I'd love to find a way to break this stalemate and this not only dysfunction, but inability to function within the Republican Party and even create a better chorus of voices between the Democrats and the Republicans. So walk in beauty, my relatives. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. Ahia and hakonet.